0: We are continuing our uh, Easter series uh, this morning. And last week, Paul began our series, which is just simply called King Jesus. uh, And he looked at Jesus, the promised king. Uh, And uh, I want to uh, just put a plug in for this coming weekend because we are going to have a good Friday service, if you haven't noticed that yet. And so Friday at 10 o'clock, it'll just be an hour long. uh, And we are going to be looking at Jesus' The crucified king. And then on Sunday, we are going to be looking at Jesus, the risen king. Uh, And uh, obviously, I would love to have you all uh, either online or here in person uh, on Good Friday. Uh, But specifically, I want to mention Sunday because Sunday is going to be a little bit of a special service. Brian Telford has one of his friends coming along with him uh, and is going to be doing uh, what promises to be a very entertaining, powerful, uh, profound, uh, dramatic presentation uh, and uh, then I'm going to follow it up with a, a, a shorter message uh, Depending on how long Brian goes That's how short I will go So you can pray either way uh, this coming week uh, But I would encourage you Like I hear lots of you saying Boy the numbers, the numbers We talk about the numbers uh, if, you're, if, if you're comfortable showing up on a Sunday Invite a friend, invite a neighbor uh, It's going to uh, be a gospel oriented service for sure Uh, And uh, if you're watching online, invite people to to tune in with you or uh, to tune in at their home. Uh, And uh, let's uh, get the message of the risen Savior out. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus, the humble king, which is kind of a confusing, uh, maybe even a contradictory sounding title. And yet that is what scripture tells us, that Jesus is uh, the humble king. King, And as I thought about the topic for this morning, it made me think of the whole experience of unfulfilled expectations. And, you know, there's certain things that every one of us shares in life. And I could probably make a list of them. But that's one thing that there's no one in this room that hasn't had an experience at some point in their life, whether it be with an event, a place, a person where you experienced... Unfulfilled expectations, where what you were told, the hype that you were sold on, what you were expecting fell short. It was nothing close to what you were expecting. As I thought about that, and I thought of the, I, mean, I think I could take the whole morning just sharing stories, uh, humorous stories, I think, of unfulfilled expectations that have happened to me, uh, or, or ones that have made me angry. Uh, Ones that I make sure I tell people about that this was an unfulfilled expectation and you don't want to do that. You don't want to try that. You don't want to buy it. Uh, One that's at the top of my list uh, was a family trip that we took to Florida a few years ago with some friends. And our friends were determined that at least one day we were going to go to one of the Disney resorts. And we said yes. And I can't it, it was such a highlight of my life. I can't remember what Disney park it was that we went to. All I remember is I paid about $800 US to get my family in to stand in line for about five different rides, two hours each, and then go home and go, what in the world did we just do? Where is this Disney that everyone raves about? And maybe you've had a different experience. But for me, that was an unmet expectation. Uh, You can think of restaurants you've gone to. You can think of items you've bought, the new and improved, whatever it is, and you bring it home and you go, what, I paid for this? Jack just bought, Jack, my son, loves knives, which is kind of a scary thing, but uh, he's always wanting to buy a new knife, and so he's, Dad, I'm buying this throwing knife, and he's making his own money, so I purchased for him on Amazon. It came, and I, I don't really understand it, but he showed it to me, and it's got this little blade on it, but the handle it was made of a chain so like it, you couldn't even throw it because the, the the knife just goes like this and it was i said you got to send that back that, that was an unfulfilled and unmet expectation and so my whole point with the unfulfilled and unmet expectations is is how we respond to them you know, whether it's a person, a place, or a thing, you know, we either reject it, we send it back, we complain about it, we never do it again. Uh, I remember uh, when I used to hire a lot of people at the company I worked for, I would, I would bring people in and there'd be a lot of hype about them. This was going to be the best hire, and then they would, didn't live up to their billing. And, you know, sometimes we had to move them into a dis- different position. Sometimes we just had to let that person go. Uh, And why I was thinking about unfulfilled expectations with the topic we're looking at this week is that this whole experience of unfulfilled expectations really can describe some people's experience with Jesus. And it's sad to admit, but I think most of us who've hung around the Christian community for a, a length of time probably know somebody who seemingly embraced Jesus Looked like they were interested in following Jesus, were, were learning about Christianity, seemed to enjoy church, seemed to enjoy the fellowship of the church. But then something happened. Uh, for some, it's been COVID. Maybe something horrible happened in their life, and it, it caused them to question God Why? Uh, maybe they just started hanging out uh, with the wrong crowd or they, they started doing the things they did before they, they came to know about Jesus. For some, it's just simply been the busyness of life. And it's like they've turned their back on Jesus. They've kind of defected from, from the faith. A- and we ask, well, Why? you know and sometimes you talk to that individual or you've heard of someone who's had a conversation with that individual and that, that individual acknowledges, "Yeah, you know, I tried Jesus. And for a while it was really working for me, but, but it's just not working the same. It's not really right the time for me and Jesus." And so we wonder like why why would they turn their back on Jesus? Why the defection? You know, I think a lot of the reasons can be narrowed down to two faulty assumptions that people have that, that, that cloud their view of Jesus. Uh, the first faulty notion is that spiritual truth is personal and subjective, not absolute and objective. And what I mean by that is that if something makes you feel good and it works for you, then it must be true. True. Right? So that's how some people view Jesus. If Jesus is working for me and he's making me feel good, then that's true for me. But if Jesus isn't working for me and I'm not really feeling good, and something else seems to be working better and making me feel better, then turn your back on Jesus and embrace that new thing. And then there's another faulty notion, kind of related to the first one. And that is the notion that the most important thing in life is my own personal happiness. And that means that God exists to make me happy. And so, if Jesus isn't making me happy, and something else is bringing me happiness, then turn your back on Jesus and embrace that other thing. You know, and Daniel's already mentioned it, perhaps the most dramatic example of responding to unfulfilled expectations is the story of the Easter week, that that last week of Jesus' life here on earth before his crucifixion. I think most of us know the story but like Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowd is going crazy. Like there is festivity in the air and they are praising him and yet by the end of the week Jesus has been denied, he's been betrayed. Even his closest followers are are, are confused and they're scattered. As we're going to see, the crowd is yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us, God save us. Blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet by the end of the week, that same crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? Why the defection? Why the rejection? This morning, I just want to take us through the Palm Sunday story because I really think it sets us up to understand much clearer what takes place in that week of Easter that we're specifically going to be thinking a lot about on Friday and on on Sunday coming up. And we're going to see how those two faulty assumptions, those, those faulty notions, led to the crowd having unfulfilled expectations because they were wrong and misplaced expectations regarding who Jesus is and what he had come to accomplish. And when they realized that Jesus wasn't going to fulfill the expectations that they had for him, they turned their back on him. And by the end of that week, he was hanging on a cross. And what I want you to see my goal, my goal really is, is just to prepare us for what's coming up this week. But, but I want us to be able to walk away from this story and we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 19. So if you're, you're using your app or your Bible, uh, you can turn to that while I'm still uh, talking. But, but what I want us to see and what Luke is wanting us to understand is, is this, that the reason that we embrace Jesus, the reason that we obey him, the reason that we follow him is not because of who we've imagined he could be or, or what we imagine he could do for us. But we embrace and follow and obey Jesus because he's Lord. He is God, the Son. And so if you've turned to Luke chapter 19 and, and we're going to be starting at verse 28, we come across the Palm Sunday story the triumphant entry. Some even call it the untriumphant entry, and we'll talk about that, Uh, allude to that uh, in a bit. I was trying to think this morning of of what comes to mind when I think of Palm Sunday. And probably what comes to mind is back when we had a bunch of Sunday school kids that would be able to come up the aisle here is that we would be singing an appropriate song, and the Sunday school kids would walk up the aisle waving their palm branches, and then the chosen Sunday school child who got to be Jesus would walk up beside the, I guess, the other chosen Sunday school child that got to be the donkey, and they would they would walk up the aisle and everyone's waving, you know, Hosanna, and we're probably singing a song that says, you know, blessed be the one, the king that comes in the name of the Lord. And they would come to the front and they'd probably just stand there until we finish the songs, and the Sunday school teachers would, would usher them away. That's what comes to my mind. And I know you don't really have to know the Bible that well to, to know this story, and we know all about the cheers. We know about the crowd. But I wonder how many of us know about the tears and the sobbing. It's Passover week. As I said, celebration is in the air. This is, this is like, uh, for us, spring break, the, the May long weekend. There's about two and a half million pilgrims in and around Jerusalem. Scholars believe there would be about 250,000 lambs available for sacrifice. But this was not going to be a typical Passover week. And this day, that we know as Palm Sunday, was not going to be just an ordinary day. It was going to be a very special day. And to understand what takes place this day and and to, to really appreciate what Luke wants us to understand in this passage, we need to see what takes place in light of some very significant, very important elements that all converge at this precise moment, at this precise place. And so what are those elements? The first one is this. Jerusalem is the determined destination of Jesus. He has said it all along. I will be going to Jerusalem where I will be handed over and put to death. And nothing was going to stop Jesus from getting to Jerusalem. The second thing is that that all of Israel knew that the promised Messiah would be Throned as king in Jerusalem. And so this Passover week, all eyes were on Jerusalem. And all eyes were on Jesus. And with such a large crowd, there was huge spiritual and messianic expectations. A third thing is that Jesus has just told his disciples a parable about a nobleman who travels to a distant land to be crowned as king. And then he says to him, let's go to Jerusalem. So even his closest followers are expecting something really big to take place in Jerusalem. Another important element to understand, and we're going to see this throughout the story, and Daniel's already alluded to it, people really misunderstood what the Messiah was going to be and what the purpose was of the Messiah and and what the Messiah was going to accomplish. These people were looking for a conqueror, a warrior king, a judge, one who would overthrow Rome and the oppression of Rome. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Their notion of Jesus as Messiah was all wrong. Another thing you have to understand is that the popularity of Jesus was at an all-time high. He has performed some pretty amazing miracles, including the the, the raising uh, of Lazarus from the dead. Fanning the flame of messianic expectation. The people are looking for a Messiah, and Jesus looks like a great candidate. And the last thing, the last element that you just need to understand is not everyone was enamored with Jesus. His popularity may have been high, but there were those who had heard and seen and, 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 and listened to Jesus who, who didn't believe, who, who had already turned their back on Jesus. Scholars believe that most of the crowd that was yelling and praising were probably made up of pilgrims who have come from outside into Jerusalem that those who lived in Jerusalem all year round, many of them probably didn't even give much time to this person named Jesus. And there was also the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were very, very concerned with the popularity of Jesus. And it was their intent that they were going to deal with this problem permanently, this problem of Jesus. Jesus. So that, that kind of sets us up for what takes place on that day. So let, let's just read through the passage. And I'm just going to comment as we go. Uh, and uh, let's see if we can glean what I, th- I believe Luke wants us to get from this, this passage. Verse 28, we read, after Jesus had said this, he, want, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And I want to stop there. Because most of us would read that, and at first glance, it would be oh, he's just kind of setting the stage for the story. Let's get into verse 29. But there's something very significant Luke wants us to see in verse 28. If you got your uh, Bible, well, if you're open, maybe you can see Luke 18 without even having to turn the page. But Luke 18, verse 31, it says Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, "We are going up to Jerusalem." and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him on the third day. He will rise again. And then in verse 28 of chapter 19, what did we just read? After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. That was the determined destination of Jesus. He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to fulfill everything that was going to be said. Jesus lived his life precisely according to the will and to the, uh, the timetable uh, of his father. And he was in absolute control of the circumstances. Because Luke wants us to see, who is this Jesus? Jesus is the Lord of absolute authority. And that's important for us to understand because people come into this week of Easter and they hear this story and many, many people conclude that it's a sad story. That it is a tragic, horrific end to a good man who just wanted to show people how to love and to live and to set an example. And yet he made the mistake of choosing one disloyal follower, and everything went downhill. That's not it. Everything that happens in this final week is according to the will and to the purpose of God the Father. And Jesus, God the Son, is not going to let anything thwart his Father's purpose. And so in verse 28, we see Jesus is the Lord of absolute authority. Then we move into the next set of verses, and it's the the next five verses. And Luke decides to spend quite a bit of time telling us about the preparation for Jesus to come into Jerusalem. And so reading at verse 29, uh, it says, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, kind of a, maybe an insignificant detail. Jesus decides he wants a ride and and uh, sends two of his disciples to uh, go and find a, a young donkey, a colt, uh, the colt of a donkey. And uh, he goes to find it and that's how Jesus is going to to ride in. Uh, and yet if you, you think about this story, if you consider the significant chunk of verses it is, in relation to the whole story, it begs a few questions. Why? Why did Jesus need a ride? Because if you knew the geography, it was an easy walk. So why does Jesus need a ride? And why a donkey? You know, like choosing a Hyundai when you could have had a Rolls, right? Like, why a donkey? I, 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 and it raises some potential problems. Like, why a young donkey that's never been ridden? You don't have to be a part of the rodeo to know what happens if you get on a four legged animal that's never been ridden, what can happen? So, wh- so why specifically an unridden donkey? And why such length? to tell us about getting a donkey. Oh yeah, another problem. It's not theirs. So what if the owner's going, stop stealing my donkey. And yet there is great significance and and a very good reason why Luke spends the time that he does giving us the account of the preparation of getting this donkey, getting this ride for Jesus. The first one is is the fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so it's significant why jesus chose to enter into jerusalem on the full of a donkey because he was going to absolutely and perfectly fulfill prophecy and even more important today was the day that jesus was publicly proclaiming his true identity that he was the messiah so that 's why he chose a donkey that 's why he rode in the way that he did, but it also tells us a lot about the kind of king that jesus is now it 's not uncommon or it wasn 't uncommon in these days for someone of power of royalty to to borrow or to commandeer a ride a mount uh, and come into a, a place uh, to, to symbolize uh, Conquest and power uh, and victory, but usually they would choose a stallion. They would choose, you know, a powerful horse that would symbolize the kind of king, the kind of power, the kind of riches that they have, but not Jesus. Jesus chooses a donkey because Jesus wants to symbolize the kind of king that he is, that he's not coming. In conquest. He's not coming to overthrow uh, some political opposition. Rather, he's coming in humility and he's coming in peace. That's not what the people were expecting. I'm sure they would have been happy if Jesus did come in on a stallion wearing a crown, maybe a big sword on his side, because that's what they were expecting. But Jesus wasn't Jesus wasn't that kind of king. And he was wasn't ushering in that kind of kingdom. The the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in was going to be by the way of the cross. So that's why he came in on a donkey. And the other thing I think what Luke wants to show us in this text is Jesus is Lord of absolute authority, but he's also Lord over creation. We may ask, how can you take somebody else's donkey? Well, the answer was sim- simple to Jesus. If they, if they say, why are you untying my donkey? Just say, the Lord needs it. That's all, that's all the person needed to hear because Jesus is Lord over creation. Well, how could Jesus ride an unridden donkey? Like, that sounds dangerous, and yet he peacefully and humbly rides into Jerusalem. How? Because he's Lord over all creation. That, that foal probably felt more comfortable with Jesus sitting on it than it did standing beside its own mother. Jesus is Lord over all creation. And I think I was reading, and, and someone makes an application uh, of this part, and I think it, it was a really cool application. The person says that that Jesus takes something as insignificant as a donkey and moves the kingdom, moves God's plan of redemption just a little bit further down the road. And the application for us, this person said, was we all have a donkey. Not, Not the one that's in the backyard in a barn, but we all have something small that God can use if we give it to him to move the kingdom a little bit further down the road. You know, it's interesting that, that, that God is in the business not necessarily of supernaturally creating the means whereby he advances his kingdom, but rather... Supernaturally using the means that he's entrusted to us as we give it back to him. And he supernaturally uses that to move his kingdom and to move God's plan of redemption further down the road. And so the question that this author wrote was what's your donkey? And how, how tightly are you gripping onto that donkey? Are, are you willing to give up those small things in your life that God can take and use for His glory and for the advancement of his kingdom? And Scripture is filled with people that had small donkeys. David had a slingshot. Rahab had a rope. Samson had a jawbone. Peter had a boat. You know, the stories go on and on and on. Jesus is willing to take those small things if we're willing to give them to him and to use them for the advancement uh, of his kingdom. But the story continues and we get to verse 35 and we start to see the response of the crowd. Uh, So reading at verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, this young donkey, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As I already mentioned, the crowd was going crazy when Jesus approached Jerusalem. Uh, they gave them the first century, first century equivalent of a red carpet welcome. The palm branches were waving, the cloaks were put on the road as Jesus makes his way uh, into Jerusalem. The crowds are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. We read in one of the other gospel writers' accounts, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise and worship is filling the air. And yet the people really don't understand who this Jesus, who Jesus the Messiah is and what he really has come to accomplish. But they worship him anyways. And the Pharisees, they're really troubled. As we read in verse 38, or sorry, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see, although the crowd perhaps was misunderstanding who Jesus was, they, they were fairly accurate in what they were saying. They were proclaiming and praising Jesus as Messiah, Uh, as divine. But to the Pharisees, this was blasphemous. And Notice how they refer to Jesus. They don't say, Lord, or Jesus, Messiah, or King Jesus. Quiet your crowd down. They say, teacher. They refuse to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And he says, quiet the crowd down. And Jesus says, you know what? They're praising and worshiping me. This is the day that we've been building up to where I will publicly identify myself as the promised Messiah. And creation is about to explode in praise. If these people don't praise and worship me, then the rocks are gonna cry out. I can't keep things quiet. But the story continues. We can end it here. A lot of Palm Sunday sermons end right about here. But this isn't where it ends. In fact, when I was saying that, I imagine on Palm Sunday, my, my mind goes back to when the Sunday schools would children would line up here, and they would come, and they would Jesus and the donkey would walk up, and then the song would finish, and they ushered them way out. That's only three quarters accurate of what took place. If we were fully accurate. The Sunday school child playing the role of Jesus would come up to the front and then look back at the crowd and look towards Jerusalem and burst out in tears. Because that's what Luke tells us. That as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he looks behind and he looks towards Jerusalem and he sobs. And the word for sobs here is not Jesus got a lump in his throat. Or he got some, you know, tears in his eyes, like when I watch a Hallmark movie. He broke down and wept. He sobbed. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he sobbed over it. He wept and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace Because the people didn't get it. They didn't understand who he was. They didn't understand why he had come. They wanted a king, and he was a king. They wanted a king, but they wanted an earthly king. They wanted to crown him as king. They wanted him to conquer and put down Rome. That was their expectations. But when they realized that their expectations were unfulfilled, they turned on Jesus. They, oh, they crowned him all right, but they crowned him with the crown of thorns. And they beat him to a bloody pulp. And they nailed him on a cross. And they joked with him. So you're the king of the Jews, are you? You're the, you're the king of the Jews? And they laughed and they laughed and they laughed. And Jesus sobs because they don't get it. Jesus cries because he is a Lord of compassion. And Jesus understood then and he understands now the consequences of those who fail to understand who he is and what he has done for us and to receive him uh, as their own. Jerusalem falls. In AD 70. And to today, there are consequences for those who fail to accept Jesus for who he is and what he came to accomplish and what he can do uh, in a person's life. And I believe Jesus saw because he knew he was the answer. But nobody was asking the question. Jesus comes. Into Jerusalem during Passover week, where two and a half million people are doing sacrifices and and feasts and the festivals and all the things that pointed to Jesus, that Jesus was actually going to fulfill. And they just didn't get it. He, He came to be the answer. But people didn't get it, their expectations were unfulfilled. We leave the story there because it really sets the stage for what's going to take place throughout the week and what we'll talk about on Good Friday and what we will celebrate on Easter Sunday. But I just wonder as we close, if you're here, you're watching this morning, and you know that you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus Or maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and and what's kept you from accepting and embracing Jesus is unfulfilled expectations. That what you've pictured that Jesus should be like and and that what he should be doing for you personally in your life is, is what's causing a distance between you and Jesus or causing you not to even be in relationship with Jesus. And what Luke wants you to know from this story this morning is that we really don't want Jesus to be anything different than what he is and what he did come to do. Because anything less than that falls short on what we require to be in right relationship with God and to have our sins forgiven and to have eternal life and to be able to experience real hope uh, and real joy. that's who we need to see Jesus as, as who he is and and what he came to accomplish. And, and, And that's why we embrace Jesus. And that's why we obey him. And that's why we follow him because he's Lord. He's God, the son. He's Lord of all authority. He is Lord over all creation. He's compassionate. He is God's savior. He's the answer to all of our problems. He's the answer to a question maybe we don't even know we should be asking, but he's still the answer. Came across a a, a little paragraph here, and I'm just going to close with it, um, and uh, hopefully it speaks to you like it spoke to me. The story of Palm Sunday is one of contrasts. It's the story of a king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey, not a prancing stallion. Not dressed in royal robes, but rather on the clothes of the poor and humble. Jesus came not to conquer by force as earthly kings, but by love, grace, mercy, and sacrifice. His is not a kingdom of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. Jesus came not to conquer nations, but rather to conquer hearts and minds. His message is one of peace with God, not of temporal peace. And it is this Jesus who would be our Savior, who is exalted at God's right hand, who demands our praise, allegiance, trust, and obedience.